Let's open our Bibles, Philippians chapter 3. We're moving right along here, huh? Chapter 3 already? That's cool. That's awesome. Philippians chapter 3, God's Word is awesome. I'm loving this book. This book is uh, just such a blessing. Every book is a blessing too, but this is one of my favorite books. We looked last week at two examples of believers who were working out the salvation that God had given them. They were all in. They were all out for God. And Timothy and Epaphroditus were the two. Timothy, who was uh, Paul's son in the faith, and he was a willing servant. He was willing to go and do whatever God would ask him to do. He had a heart that cared for people. He had a, a genuine interest, he said, it said there, in, in their welfare. And Timothy had proved himself serving together with Paul and with uh, the others. He proved himself. And sometimes we have to go through that proving process to see what God wants to do with us. Epaphroditus, uh, Paul described him with three terms. He said, my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier. So we see three things there, the family, we see work, and we see warfare, and they're all three. You remember we talked about that, or I talked about it, and hopefully you were listening, where it's not just the family. Family is good, right? But we don't just what? Sit around, what? Smiling at each other. Remember that? Some of you are not smiling today. You're forgetting the family part. We need to smile at each other. It's okay to smile a little bit. We're going to talk about rejoicing in a second. You'll see what I'm talking about. And there's also work to be done. There's work to be done, not just um, out on the green meadow, but work, spiritual work, all kinds of work, physical, spiritual, all kinds of work that needs to be done that God's called us to do. Not working for our salvation, right? We'll talk about that. And then the last thing, the, uh, the warfare. There's spiritual warfare that's taking place in this world. We can't see it, but it's very real. Spiritual warfare is very real. Says Epaphroditus, he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life. And that was a gambler's phrase, meaning all in, putting it all in for Christ. And, and uh, these two examples uh, uh, stand out to me. What God prepared for them to do ahead of time and what God has prepared for each one of us to do ahead of time. And, and are we willing to take the risks? Are we willing to, to put it all on the table there? Are we just going to hold back? Are we going to put a little bit, put one chip out and hold back the rest for us? We're never going to go anywhere, never going to do anything. I'm not encouraging gambling, mind you. Just because it's a gambler's phrase. They just used it that way, right? Today, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3, more joy, battles, and the basis for our salvation. The first thing in chapter 4, verse 1, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, I'm already jumping to chapter 4. I'm so excited. Chapter 3 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. First thing he says there is finally. Finally. Now, Paul, he was a true preacher, right? Finally, he says. And if I said to you, and finally, you'd, you'd be starting to... Fold up your Bibles, put them in their covers and all that stuff, you know, rustling your papers, not paying any more attention. This was only his first closing, right? And you just have to understand, just because you hear the word finally does not mean that it's about to close. It's about to be over. Finally is just the first finally. He's going to say it again in chapter 4. He's, got, he's only halfway through here, right? 
I'm just getting started now today. I've got a long ways to go. And I could say finally, but don't get any wrong ideas. He says, my brothers, and again, there's that family idea. And he says the very first thing, he says, finally, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice where? In the Lord. You know, that, that theme, and again, that's the, the, the theme of the book of uh, Philippians, the, this idea of joy. That theme is repeated over and over again. He talks even in this verse about repeating things. And why is it that things are repeated over and over and over again? Why is that? Because we didn't get it? Because they're important? Because we don't have it? Because we need it. They needed it, and so do we. Over and over again, we, we can repeat things. It's okay to repeat things. You know, I used to, I used to be afraid to repeat things. Uh, you know, something's got to be fresh every week. Something's got to be new every week. But you know what? There are certain things that we need to have repeated over and over again. Repetition is kind of the way we learn, right? And I want to say again to you today that God wants us to have joy, and He wants us to rejoice in the Lord, not in our circumstances, Someone said this, most of God's people need, notice he said most of God's people need this challenge often. It's easy for believers to let circumstances discourage them. And the cure for discouragement is to rivet one's attention on the Lord and rejoice in Him. Rivet one's attention on the Lord, and rejoice in Him. You know, that's a message I think we all need to hear over and over again because, you know, we're in, a, uh, we're in a world that is full of pain and sorrow and, and stress and trials. How many of you have a stressful life? A couple of you. But how many of you are full of joy in the middle of all that stress? Can I talk to you afterwards? <laughs> I need some help. You know, it is possible. Paul said in, in uh, 2 Corinthians, sorrowful yet always rejoicing is one of the things that was going on in his own life. Sorrowful but always rejoicing. Even in the middle of the sorrow, even in the middle of the pain, the stress or whatever, finding that joy. And I think that's what God is telling me. And I think that's what God's word is telling us, that to find that joy in the middle of all of it. And it's not always easy to do. But to rivet one's attention on the Lord, rejoice in Him. I repeat that quote from D.L. Moody, where he said, Happiness is caused by things that happen around me, and circumstances will mar it. But joy flows right on through trouble. Joy flows on through the dark. Joy flows in the night as well as in the day. Joy flows all through persecution and opposition. It's an unceasing fountain bubbling up in the heart, a secret spring the world can't see and doesn't know anything about. The Lord gives His people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to Him. That's what I want. That's what I want. He says, he says it again. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Later in, in chapter 4, he's going to say, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice over and over again. Rejoice, find joy in Jesus. That word rejoice, another way to say it is to be joying. It's, a, it's like a verb. It's like an action. Be joying in Jesus, in Christ himself. I want to I look at a couple passages about this before we move on. 
first of all, Isaiah chapter 61, because I think it's, it's so important. Again, I, I, don't, I don't mind repeating this idea, this thought. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. Isaiah 61.10. This was an old chorus that we used to sing years and years ago. How many of you remember this chorus? By looking at the verse. Any of you? Any of you have been around long enough to remember that? I delight. I'm not going to sing it for you. I don't know how to sing. Verse 10. I delight greatly. Where? In the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Notice he says, My God. It's a personal relationship. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Rejoice, Paul said, in the Lord. One more passage in Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Some say Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verse 17. Okay, let's go through the list of the minor prophets. Isaiah is a major prophet, so we got the major prophets. There's five of those, and then there's 12 minor prophets, so let's see if we can get them right. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. See, if you learn them in threes, they're easy to memorize. Took me a while, but I finally got it. You all there, Habakkuk? Chapter 3, verse 17. I, I seem to remember that um, somebody had these verses at their wedding, and, I, and I'm not quite sure why. I mean, I sort of know why because of the end, but the beginning, I don't know why. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud... And there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, why would you have that at your wedding? That's kind of a negative way to start things off, I think. But yet, he says in verse 18, yet... Yet, despite all that stuff that that isn't happening, yet, despite the circumstances, despite what we expected, our expectations, they've fallen short of what our expectation, things have fallen short of what our expectations are, yet, I will rejoice in where? In the Lord. I will rejoice in no matter what. And it all happens, doesn't it? It happens. Stuff happens. It's going to break down. It's going to fall apart. The water pipes are going to break. Stuff will happen. Yet, he says. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. That's big. Can circumstances and the things of this life take away Jesus and his love from us? Can they take that? Can none of this, none of it can take it away. None of it can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 3. He says there, It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. You say, well, I've heard it all before, but okay, you've heard it all before, but have, have, you, have you 
applied it in your life? Is it, is it part of who you are? Or it's just something you heard? God's Word is meant to be taken into us and, and, and changing and transforming us. I rejoice Rejoice in the Lord. He says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. It's a safeguard. There's safety and repetition because we'll know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. You'll know the truth. Sometimes you hear it once, you don't really know it. But you hear it a bunch of times, you know, wow, God's word says that I should rejoice in the Lord. Wow, I've heard it like a hundred times there. He's talking about every time he, he needs to like, Fix that record player. It's just skipping over and over again and again. Rejoice in the Lord. Find joy in the Lord. Jesus, others, yourself. Joy, joy, joy. I've got that joy, joy, joy. Why does he keep talking about that again? I'm so depressed. Why does he keep talking about that? My, my, he doesn't know what I live, what my life is like. Why does he keep talking about that? He doesn't have a clue what... I face, I can't even pay the rent. I can't, I can't, you know, put gas in the car. He doesn't know. How can he say that? But that's what God's word says. I'm not saying it. That's what the word of God says. Rejoice in the Lord. Finally. I'm not finished. It's because I said finally. Peter said the same thing. He said, about repetition, he says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly, are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside. He says, I'm going to make every effort to see that after my departure, after I leave, you'll always be able to remember these things. He says, as long as I'm living, I'm going to remind you of this stuff over and over again so that when I die, you're going to be able to remember these things. And maybe, maybe it is that when I die, some of you will still remember. He kept saying, joy, 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 Philippians, joy, J-O-Y. He kept saying that over and over again. But all I could think about was donuts and coffee and refreshments downstairs. That's all I could think about. Just bring it on up. Let's eat them right now while we're talking about this. Let's have a little joy and family and fellowship while we're here at it. Break a little bread. Joy. Joy in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, Paul, again, just to refresh your memory about Paul, Writing to the people of Philippi, you remember when Acts chapter 16, when he first went there, the stuff that happened to him, was it all joy there? No, he, 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 you know, he had some positive things that happened. You know, people came to know Jesus Christ and they were saved and, and their lives were turned around, but, he, but he, was, he was beaten. He was beaten with rods. He was put in the dungeon and locked securely in chains around his legs. And he's telling these people, you, you need joy. Rejoice in the Lord no matter what. It's a safeguard for you. Safety and repetition, knowing the truth. His life wasn't all fun and games. And, and you just look at the different things that happened in his life. Look at verse 2 here. He goes on to talk about some of the things that he was very, very concerned about that, were, that was going on around him. He says, watch out. He starts in verse 1. He says, Rejoice in the Lord. And then verse 2, he says, watch out for those dogs. 
Those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Watch out, he says, you know, yeah, rejoice in the Lord, but also keep your eyes open around you too, he says. And in the original language, and like in the King James says, beware, 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 repeated three times. Repeating means beware, watch out. There's going to be battles around. There's going to be spiritual warfare. There's going to be attacks. And and it appears that Paul would go to a place and then these guys would come along behind him and and try to, you know, tell him, okay, well, Paul told you about Jesus. And and we, we agree with that. But we also want to add a little bit more to that understanding and tell you that you not only need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to follow every rule and regulation of the law. And you must be circumcised. You must follow every part of the law, and it became so legalistic. They added works to the law, the works of the law to faith in Christ for salvation. He says, watch out, beware of anything that gets added to faith. He says, beware and watch out for those dogs. That's kind of strong language, isn't it? Now, we think about it today, and we're all pet lovers well, some of us are. Some of us aren't. I don't know. I, I, I like pets. I just don't have any. I had a bird once. <clears throat> but these dogs that he's talking about here are not the dogs, not the pets of today, right? These are not the pets that we have today. Little, you know, friendly little. These, the dogs of, of that time, they were like wild. They were like scavengers. They were just on the loose and... And, uh, you know, I've seen dogs like that in different countries where you go and, and, and not like in America, but different countries where they're just like wild and they're just scavengers and they're just running everywhere and they got sores on them and it's just, it's, 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 it's painful to see. But that's what he was talking there. He was saying, watch out for the dogs and, and beware of these things. And, and, you know, I used to work in California years ago. I used to work in collections. Um, can you believe that? Have any of you ever worked in collections where you have to go door to door to people's houses? I'm not calling them up on the phone trying to get the money. I mean going to their houses to get the money. So I worked for like a a rent-to-own place, you know, and that's basically my job was collections. And I was paid according to how much I would get them to pay up, right? Can you believe that I did that? (laughs) Pay up right now. But you know what? When I went out there, and this is kind of in, the, in uh, central California, you know, you had to watch out for the dogs. But you know what? It wasn't the big ones. It was the little ones you got to watch out for. <laughs> I find I'd go through the gate and walk up, and all of a sudden this little dog would come out of nowhere just right at my heel. <laughs> you can pay next month. It's Okay. <laughs> You gotta watch out. You gotta watch out. You can't just you can't just go around with your eyes closed. Watch out. Yeah, we're supposed to be joyful and rejoicing in the Lord and be joying in Him, but but watch out too. And 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 the, the, you know, Paul saw this as evil. Paul saw this as as them twisting the truth, and and he actually kind of kind of changed the word. He called them mutilators of the flesh or the concision, meaning not not the circumcision. You see, circumcision in the Old Testament was a a sign of the covenant that God had with man. And and that is very, very important. But but when you look back and read, and, and, and even in the Old Testament, 
which is what they were missing. It wasn't circumcision of the flesh that made the difference. It was circumcision of the heart that made the difference. The cutting of the heart, the changing of the heart. The circumcision in the flesh was just like an outward sign of something else. It's like baptism. Baptism doesn't save us, though there are people that will tell you that unless you are baptized, you are not saved. You cannot be saved. And not only that, but you need to come and be baptized at our pool. And just the way that we say to do it, you know, dunk, 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 or whatever, you know, sprinkle, 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 whatever it is. It was circumcision of the heart. That's why Paul says in verse 3, look at that. He says, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who are the circumcision. Not, not something we do, it's something that we are in Christ. We are the circumcision. And notice the three things that he says there. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. We worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. That's what makes us part of the circumcision, those that are set apart to God, because we worship and we glory in Him and we put no confidence in our own flesh. Because what does the flesh profit us anyways? Nothing. Verse 4, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. This gets kind of interesting here now. He says, you know, we put no confidence in the flesh. Though, I, if anybody could make a case about having confidence in the flesh, it would be Paul. And he, and he kind of lists these things now. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. If you want to go down that route, if you want to play that game, okay. And that's what these, the things that he mentions, they were all like big on. If you want to go down that route, and Paul's, Paul kind of listing his pre-Christian confidence, as someone said, or religious self-confidence, another said. If anyone thinks he has, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, he says, I have more. And you say, well, you know what, I don't do that, but you know what, we all do. We all do have stuff that we think we're confident, you know. Well, you know, I've got something to offer. I've got something to put into this thing i got something to help build this up with. John Calvin, the reformer, said the human heart has so many crannies where vanity hides, so many holes where falsehood lurks, is so decked out with deceiving hypocrisy that it often dupes itself. We, got, we all got little stuff that we think, you know. It's me, you know. It's me. And this is what Paul gives us this list, and then he's going to kind of refute the whole list. But look what he says in verse 5 and 6. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. Perfect. Of the people of Israel, perfect. Of the tribe of Benjamin, perfect. A Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He had the ancestry, he had the orthodoxy, he had all the right doctrines, he, had, he did all the right things, he was moral. And that should be good enough, right? 
All that stuff he said should be good enough. Should be good enough to get us into heaven, right? That's what he's saying. If you want to play that game, okay, I'll play that game. And some of us, again, I, I would venture to say all of us have this little thing inside of us, like Calvin said, little things hiding in there where we think. Our qualifications, you know, our achievements. You know, I was born in a good family, maybe. Or, you know, I, I, I have perfect attendance at church. You know, I, I went to Sunday school and I, I, I never miss one Sunday. I got, the, I got the star on my chart every single time. Wow. You are cool. Is that going to get you anywhere? Is that going to get you anything? Is it going to get you in God's sight? He's going to go, you're one of my star pupils. Come on in. Maybe you can teach me a thing or two. Our qualifications. Look what Paul says in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider what? Loss for the sake of Christ. Consider loss. What is more, he says, verse 8, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. He says, I consider this all loss for the sake of Christ. Christ in comparison, comparison to the greatness of knowing Jesus. He had all the religion. He had it all. But all of it, all of his efforts, all of our efforts, it, it's like loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus. It's so important to know because, you know, we, we as human beings, we want to work. We want to work our way into heaven. We want to get there on our own efforts. It's just part of who we are. But it doesn't work. It's all loss compared to what Jesus did for us. That old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, powerful words. Listen to this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord. We had nothing to boast about. I pour contempt on all my pride. Spurgeon, the preacher from England, the last century said, the squirrel in his wire cage, continually in motion, but making no progress, reminds me of my own self-righteous efforts towards salvation. Just spinning around and around. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to do anything. This is grace we're talking about here today. The grace of God, that God gave it to us. We didn't earn it. We can't earn it. All of it. A loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not a religion. You see, that's what sets Christianity apart from others, from all others. It's knowing Christ Jesus. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what it's all about. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's not a religion of what you do. Does that mean we don't do anything? We just sit around smiling at each other? No, we have work to do. We have battles to fight. But, but they're based upon the grace that God has given to us. 
Jeremiah said, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. We want to boast about something. It's not just about what we've done. It's about the fact that we understand and know the Lord God, Almighty God. He says there, we read it, verse 8, he says, I consider them rubbish. And that can be translated a whole bunch of ways. Refuse and dung can be translated as dung as well. All the stuff I do is just, it's just refuse, rubbish, dung compared to what God did, compared to what Jesus Christ did. Verse 9, finally, verse 9, did you get that? Finally, verse 9. <laughs> and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Not having a righteousness of my own. Some of you know what Isaiah said about that, about our own righteousness. What is it like? Filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. We're not going to turn there. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. But there is a righteousness that comes from God through faith. That's what it says here. That which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. The righteousness that is by faith from first to last, Romans chapter 1. He says there, the righteous will live by faith. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. One man said this, don't count on what you have done, are doing, or will do. Count only on what Christ did. Count only on what Christ did. That's the grace. See, this is where the joy comes from. It's in what Jesus did. Because you know what? We, we fail. When we look at ourselves and our, and our, achievement, our achievements and our credentials and our you know, ancestry, our religious works and all this stuff, yeah, we, you know, we, we, our pride might be puffed up, but, but you know what? There's no joy in all that. I really like what someone said about, about our credentials. He says, our credentials are not advantages, but they're liabilities. Why is that? Why would he say that? Think about that. Our advantages or our good works are not advantages but liabilities. Why do you think he said that? Exactly. We think we're, we're pretty good. We think we did it. Yeah. I'm just about there. It's not an advantage. It's a liability. It gets in the way of us saying, you know what? Like Paul said, and Paul had all the advantages, you see, but he, he, he got the right perspective. He says, that, you know, they're like loss. They're like rubbish. They're refuse. They're done compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It was not the bad things, someone said, Warren Wearsby said. Not bad things that kept Paul away from Jesus. It was the good things. Let's turn to Luke chapter 18. We will close there. 
for the final closing, Luke chapter, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. See, that's the liability there. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself or to himself. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. I'm so, I am so spiritual. I am so religious. He says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That pretty much sums it up right there, doesn't it? The words of Jesus. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, righteousness is being in a right relationship with God. And we can't do it on our own. We have to do it with the righteousness that, that God gave us and what He did for us. You say, well, that's all doctrinal stuff. Well, yeah, it is doctrinal stuff, but we need to know, again, the foundations of our faith rest upon that. The doctrines that come out of the Word of God, the teaching of God's Word, and here, the teaching of our Savior, Jesus. We need to humble ourselves before Him. John Wycliffe, who gave his life to get the Word of God into the hands of the people, said, Trust wholly in Christ. Rely altogether on His sufferings. Beware of seeking to be justified in any other way than by His righteousness. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for salvation. Trust wholly in Him. Let's pray together, shall we?